Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast 2021 season. We've got game one in the books. The Frogs are 1-0. It's better than being 0-1. And for the first time maybe in a little while, we had nothing but confidence after coming out of our FCS game to open the season. Frogs pistol-whipped Duquesne. No questions asked. Second half is what it was. First half, um, dare I say, all gas, no brakes. You heard me. We're going to talk about that and a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. Well, as always, I have two people with me. Um, first, we got Jeremy Clark. Jeremy, um, did you enjoy getting out there for the first game of the year? Absolutely, man. Love football. Love being out there at the Carter. It was great to be there. Uh, I wasn't there, but I know, I know you were there covering the team. And then we we have a special guest on the show tonight, someone else that was at the game. Um, maybe you've heard of him. He's got a best-selling record now, Daniel Southern. Daniel you are the power behind the throne that gets us online, but you went to the game this week. Give us an update on what you thought the crowd and the atmosphere were like so that everyone can remember the sound of your voice. <laughs> uh, no, it was, uh, it was, it was pretty good considering, uh, being first game, uh, really, uh, back from everything. The first game of the season being a thousand degrees, even though it was seven o'clock and then, uh, being, you know, one of those first of the season, uh, FCS type, uh, type games with Duquesne and, and considering all that, the, the crowd turnout was pretty good. I thought the, um, the atmosphere, um, was, was pretty good. Um, everything felt, uh, pretty, pretty normal. And, um, it, it, uh, it was, it was good to be back. Uh, I think, uh, I think we'll do even better uh, this coming week with Cal. Well, we're going to get to that here at the end of the show, but let's let's take a glance back. Jeremy, let me start with this question. You know, I don't know if you know this, but people online are kind of picky and have a lot of strong opinions about things they may not always be informed about. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but it, the easiest thing to do is complain about, oh my gosh, we have to play Duquesne. It's not a marquee name. My hunch is 30% of our student body couldn't find Duquesne on a map. Um People complained, oh, we're playing this game. Why do we have to play this game? It's going to be hot. I'm not going to go. Defend this game on the schedule, not just simply as a fan, but what is what is the program's perspective on scheduling games like this, and what is Coach Patterson's perspective on scheduling a game like this, especially right out of the gate? I think the game being right out of the gate is the most important. I, I don't think you would like to see this game being the third or fourth game on the schedule, but they like these opponents just because it gives a chance. They, they know there's going to be an opportunity for a lot of players to get playing time. And being Duquesne, it, it couldn't have came at a better time with a few guys out like Noah Daniels and Kari Komen, uh, Wes Harris, uh, Noah Daniels. Th- th- those, those guys just not being able to play helps when you're not opening up the season against a team like Iowa State like they had to last year. So I think – Fan perspective, for the most part, I mean, they should be used to these type of games. TCU's always opened up the season pretty much with the FCS opponent. I think with Duquesne, it just became a part, like you said earlier, people probably had to get out their phone, look up Duquesne. Where the heck is Duquesne? What the heck is this program? What level of competition do they play? It's not a name that we in Texas really know about. People in the Northeast know a lot more about them, but I think if this game was more like if you played a Stephen F. Austin or a Grambling or a Southern, we wouldn't be talking as much about the opponent. I mean, it's they're the same type of opponents. It's just a program that, quite honestly, we didn't know a whole lot about. And I think that's kind of where you get 
some of the frustrations and and whatnot. But it's it's good to have these type of games early in the year because they went out and did exactly what they were supposed to do. No big injuries happened during the game, and uh, you'll get a you'll get a better level of competition this week with Cal coming into town. You know, one of the interesting pieces of scheduling this game is the the is this. Do you think it's Coach Patterson's perspective that you know it seems as if they have his they scheduled historic black colleges and universities. You know, a lot of these games are uh, will underwrite the entire athletic budget for for a FCS program where it's you know it's between half million and a million dollars depending on 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 some of the costs and travel and that kind of stuff. But I'm thinking, you know, Pine Bluff, Duquesne. I mean, Pine Bluff. Grambling, uh, Jackson State, uh, that's Southern, the, yes, Southern that that are often on the schedule, and I think it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, obviously I, they they tend to travel a little bit better than probably Duquesne did, and obviously there's a lot of energy from um, the the players, and those are those are proud programs as well as you know I hate to throw this in as if it's the only thing, but the band is awesome. So I is, do you know why why they have um, leaned that way historically? I, I think it's just more uh, geographically. Um, those schools are close in proximity. Um, it's easy travel for those folks. They, you can get those bands down here, like you said. They're they're pretty awesome, but it's not it's not too often you see them schedule a FCS that's not really close. South Dakota State's really uh, that was really I, I like that game because South Dakota State's a really good program, and we knew they had a lot coming in. But geographically speaking, they're not really close. But overall, it's just teams that they can pretty much hop on a bus and ride down to Fort Worth. Uh, I think Duquesne, I, I believe TCU paid them somewhere between three fifty, four hundred thousand to play this game. A um, little bit more of a travel for them. And for those kids out in Pennsylvania, it's pretty cool for them to get down here playing a, a big stadium. And like you said last week, their stadium, I think the capacity is what, 2,700, something stupid. I think it was 2000. Yeah. So we were trying to decide whether Boyd high school had a bigger stadium than Duquesne. Uh, they do. I, I looked it up. Like I said, last week, I looked it up on the map just cause I wanted to see for myself. It's a very small class three, a stadium down here in Texas. So it, it was probably a really, even though they got their tails handed to them, they probably had a great experience coming down here to Texas playing against a program like TCU and, and uh, getting to experience that Texas weather a little bit. They probably didn't like the heat whatsoever, but it, it's good to have these type of games, like I said, because it's going to, it's going to help you more than it's going to, than it's going to hurt you in the long run. Uh, this, this was a great chance for them to uh, get the ball out quick for max, uh, make easy passes, uh, let the offensive line work a little bit, let the running backs. I think they had five or six different guys carry the ball. So, these these type of games are are a must. I know for fan perspective and media, we'd love to see them line up against a an Ohio State or LSU like they did a few years ago. But these these games are important, and and I think they're going to continue to keep doing that. I think that's what Gary wants. Gary likes these type of opponents because you it's it's basically he'll never say it, but it's like another scrimmage for them. It, they're they're going to have an opportunity to get their third and fourth teamers in there, let them get some college experience and, and, and see how they react playing in front of 35, 40,000 fans. Cause it's a lot different when they're just practicing and all they have to worry about is the coaches yelling at them. But now if they make a mistake in front of those, th- that many people, then they're going to be a little bit more embarrassed about it. And they got to see how they're going to respond in that situation. So I, I, I will never argue them, them opening the season with the FCS opponent for as long as I covered the team. 
this is where we have to remember what college football does not have that the NFL has, that, that high school football has, which is either formal preseason games or formal scrimmages or jamborees. And right. so, you know, we used to have uh, high school scrimmages where you'd have three teams and you'd come out and you play on half the field. You'd rotate your offense against their defense. And, you know, you got three teams out there and you can, you can see different two different squads on both sides of the ball. Obviously, you have four preseason NFL games. And in college, you're just supposed to be ready to go day one, having um, scrimmaged against only yourself. So, and even in college basketball, they'll sneak in those those scrimmages before uh, against other teams before the season starts. They're kind of off the grid, but oh yeah, it, it happens. You know, I know TCU used to play UT, UTA. Um, you know, I remember Kansas and Missouri did an unofficial scrimmage at the Sprint Center to raise money for uh, um, I think hurricane relief a couple years ago. So those things happen. It doesn't happen in college football. And for Patterson, he takes it as a way to have a preseason game. And I, I can't really argue with it. And it's not just TCU. A lot of these teams do it. I mean, if you look at the schedule next week, Baylor's here this coming week. Baylor, I think, is playing Texas Southern. Oklahoma's got Western Carolina. I think, uh, you know, Texas Tech, who are they playing? I, I think they're playing a, an FCS program as well. Um, but there, you're always going to have these type of games, and even the SEC schedules these type of games. So they just do it in the middle of the season, so it's it's not like TCU's the only program out there that's scheduling weaker opponents. It was good to see Nebraska get back on track against the mighty powerhouse of Fordham. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. It's just, West Virginia's got Long Island. I'm looking at the, the, the schedule now. So, I mean, Texas, if you look at it, they're really the only ones. They, they've got a pretty tough non-conference they had louisiana last week and they got arkansas this week so but then but get, then they have rice i mean so it's not <laughs> fcs but although rice put up a better fight against arkansas than the final score um uh, pointed out right uh, all right well let's let's move on you know there's a lot we could talk about inside of the game um i just want to i'm going to ask you here in a second about kind of what was your stand what were, what were one or two things that stood out on both sides of the ball but let's talk about how the game got shortened. <laughs> you mentioned that the Texas Heat may have been something a little different, regardless of whether the sun was down or not, for some of these players from um, the Northeast. The second half was cut. We went from 15-minute quarters to 12-minute quarters. You're in the press box. Did you hear about that? Did uh, Mark Cohen come and put the word out about that? Or did you just look up and 30 seconds later, there's seven minutes left in the <laughs> third quarter? No, we, I mean, they they announced it. The referee came out and on, on the loud mic and – and uh, announced that the quarters were going to be shortened to 12 minutes. And all of us found out at the same time. So apparently the Duquesne coach had asked Coach Patterson to, to see if he'd be willing to shorten the quarters to 12 minutes because, number one, Duquesne, I think, had 13 yards of total offense at halftime. And number two, their players were fall, just falling out left and right. I think they had already lost four or five players, um, that which were starters uh, in the first half. And – it was just going to keep getting ugly. Now, as a TCU fan, you're wanting you're wanting the a race car offense. You're wanting them. The, they want Texas Tech scores every week if they can get it. If they, if they can go out and score eighty points, that's what TCU fans want. That's what any fan base wants. Gary is a little bit different. He's going to try to be the nice guy. That game was won in in the first quarter. It was they were never looking back. It's it's kind of a, a eye raiser just because they they look at. The betting lines, and that was the big thing. Drew and I were talking about Vegas looking at it. Um, if if there was any uh, any betting rules that were uh, 
not not happening because of the game getting shortened like it was. And someone even tweeted it. I think the burner account tweeted it, Donati, saying that they were going to get prorated for their six minutes of lost football. But it, we all found out at the same time, and we asked Coach about it. Asked specifically, I was I, that was I think that was the second question I asked him, or might have been the first question I asked Coach about the reason why they they shortened the game, and and he said. Duquesne came to them and he felt like it was the right thing to do. No, it, it was the right thing to do. I just, I just thought it was funny. I just thought it was funny. I remember that happened in the Kansas game a couple several years ago, but that was because the lightning was coming and the frogs were right. up like, you know, 42 to two or, you know, three or whatever. And they're like, yeah, let's just get this thing over with. I think they went to a running clock in 12 minutes. Like they just yeah. wanted that game to get into the books. So I think it was a running clock um, because that's the first time, I can ever recall the game, a, a quarter being shortened like it is. I've seen the running clock, um, but we were even discussing if that's the first time that's happened inside the Carter, uh, at least under Gary, since he's been the coach, if they've shortened the quarters. And we couldn't we couldn't ever remember a time when that happened. So I'll tell you this, I like the 12-minute quarters rather than the running clock because TC only had, I think, four possessions in the second half. And one of those possessions came after they punted and they just recovered the muff punt. So the it was just so it, it was just weird to to watch how slow the second half was. And I know it was pro- probably driving fans crazy because they like I said, they want to go out and see high score. And I know a lot of fans probably wanted to see, you know, two shoes no good if they don't score sixty. Well, it's just one of those games where they weren't gonna score sixty, but I promise you if they played regular, if they didn't uh, have to rely if they didn't want to get some of their backups in if they would have kept their first team out and they played 15 minute quarters whatnot tcu could have gone out and scored 70 to 80 points no problem duquesne was doing nothing that was going to stop them offense stop tcu's offense and tcu's defense was so much more athletic faster i mean duquesne couldn't do anything man it, it was it was essentially like watching a high school team and what's funny is Duquesne is not a bad team. It, for anyone thinking, oh, Duquesne, they're they're a horrible team. They played in their their league championship last year. They're they're not a horrible team. They have 15 guys that were FBS players that transferred in. So it's not like they're full of roster full of guys that didn't get scholarships out of high school. They they had some good athletes, and their level of competition is certainly not TCU. But when you play teams similar to them, they have pretty good success. But I, w- I would tell you this, if, if they lined up and played a team like Grambling or Southern or uh, even Jackson State, I think I think Duquesne would be every bit of, uh, as good as them and, and maybe even win two or three of those games. No, I think you're right. And I think to belittle Duquesne is, is just shows that you haven't done your research. That's a solid football team. That's a solid football team. Well, let's take a look at both sides of the ball. You know, obviously, everybody wants to talk about Max and talk about the defense and all that. But you no, know, you can you can answer this question any way you want. But I hope one of your answers is a little off the radar. All right. But give me, give me two standouts on offense, or, or or even trends. What are two things you saw on the offensive side of the ball, or maybe one player and one trend that you think is a positive sign going forward this week against the Cal Bears? Uh, I like the way they got Savion Williams involved early on, and. It's it's a little pass, but I really like the way Max was able to get the ball out. Um, when he was throwing those hitches to uh, Savion and Quentin, the ball was right on the money. They were accurate. The receivers didn't have to jump. They didn't have to do anything. 
Um, but getting the ball to Savion Williams was was pretty nice to see. I think he had two catches on the first drive. Uh, second guy, that's a tough one. Um, I, I did like the way they got J.D. Spillman involved. I think J.D. is going to be a, a, a huge asset this year. We didn't get to see a lot of him last year because he got hurt so early. But if he could stay healthy, TCU's going to figure out a way to get him the ball. And, man, he just makes plays. He makes people miss. And the two catches that he had, he probably avoided five or six tackles on on both those plays combined. I mean, he just he's just electric with the football. And if they could just figure out ways continually each game to, to get him the ball, I think he's just going to be a tremendous asset for the offense. And you add Tay Barber. Blair Conrad's another guy. Blair Conrad had a, had a couple of nice catches. There's the the receivers we talked about it. We talked about in the offseason how they're more athletic. They they uh have just great speed. They're tall. But the one thing I will say about what I, what was impressive on Saturday is the fact that they didn't drop the ball. They didn't drop any passes. And I think the only knock I would say about any of the receivers was probably that deep pass uh that Max attempted to uh hit Savion on the home sideline on the first drive of the game, everyone's saying Max overthrew the ball. But if you go back and watch, I don't think, I don't think Savion, he slow, he was slow in the beginning of his route. And it's just, it, something, something looked different about that. Didn't look like he was running all the way. Yeah, I was a little critical of Max. So um, my concern wasn't that one with Savion on the home sideline. Cause I, I agree. I thought Savion um, didn't run the route the way he should. I think it was that first drive where, uh, you know, you know, Quentin Johnston, he overthrew him. It was the pass was out of bounds. Right. I thought, oh man, that that was six if he just puts it in there like he did a couple times last year, obviously in the sac- in the last third of the season to, to Quentin Johnston. So that was the one that kind of threw me off. But hey, that's why you have the preseason game to work those things out under pressure. So well, let's flip to the other side of the ball. Uh, what are one or two takeaways of people or trends that you felt good about that the Frogs can project forward against Cal on the defensive side? Speed, speed, man! They're they're so fast on defense. It was it was getting pretty comical every time I saw their their running back was pretty big. He's he's six three, two hundred thirty pounds. He's pretty big kid, and he kept trying to run side sideways on them, and it was just funny because you're not outrunning that defense to the sideline. I don't care how fast you think you are. You're just not outrunning them. And a couple guys, D. Hunters, Jamoy Hodge, uh, Bud Clark. You know, Bud Clark, that's a, that's a guy I'll mention because we talked about him. You know, Gary talked a little bit about him in fall camp and spring camp. One thing I love about Bud Clark, and I'm sure a lot of guys will agree when they, when they hear this and, and guys that watch the game, Bud Clark just looks like he's having a hell of a time out there. You talk about a guy that just looks like he's just so happy to be out there on the field, and he's making plays. There was one play where they tried to run to the outside. It was toward Duquesne's sideline, and uh, Bud Clark just came like he got shot out of a cannon, just sprinting up to the line, and they they got him for like a three-yard gain, but Bud Clark came from virtually nowhere and just got the guy out of bounds. It was a great play. And you see later on, Hodges Tomlinson gets that interception. I think Bud Clark was celebrating more than than Travius was. So it, it was pretty refreshing to see him out there because it's such a, a big shoe to fill with Merrick gone. So you got to have good play at free safety. I will say he was a little late on one of the plays in the second half where they they caught a deep ball. And I and I 
I still think that plat, that pass was a, a questionable catch because they didn't review it. I thought they were going to review it. I even asked coach, did you almost challenge it? And he said he did, but this goes back, back to me saying, I think he was kind of feeling sorry for Duquesne a little bit. So he didn't challenge it, take, take a big play away from him. But I, I think overall this, the speed on this, the, the def- defensive side of the ball is going to be really good for them. And it's just the way they pursue. If you look at the way, uh, Duquesne ran the ball. You never just saw one frog tackling them. There was like a, a multitude, like three or four guys getting after them. And it was almost like that every play. It was just the the way they all pursue the ball and just the speed and athleticism and keeping on Bud Clark, man. I was I was really impressed with him. So here's my question. Who's going to start opposite D winners the bulk of this season? D winners obviously is going to be the anchor of the defense, but I saw, uh, I saw a few good linebackers in there. Tell me what's your, what's your best bet. Who's going to start, who's going to start against Cal. I still think Wyatt Harris is going to start. Now we all watched the game and it looked like Jamoy Hodge was having fun flying around up there, but it's, it's against a lesser opponent, FCS opponent. The, the knock on Hodge right now is is not that he can't make plays. It's knowing what the heck he's doing. And I've told you guys ever since I've covered the team and, and, and really just dove deep into the program and developed relationships and, and know about what they look for. It, they, they don't want the guys out there that's going to kill them um, because they don't know what the hell they're doing. They want guys, whether they're – the not the most athletic, you know, who who was the kid a few years ago, the hooker kid, was that his name? The safety, the walk on that everyone's trying to figure out how in the world is that guy playing safety? And it's because he knew what he was doing. But that's that's kind of the way they they use the linebackers right now. They want the guys out there to know what they're doing. Obviously, we know Dee Winters knows what he's doing. Wyatt Harris is a very smart linebacker. He's athletic. Did he make as many good plays as Jamoy? Probably not. Um he he doesn't fit the bill of a, a 6'3", 235-pound linebacker that flies all around the ball. But at the same time, you, you've got you've to be, be able to know what you're doing. Now, if he goes out this week in practice and it has a great practice and they look back at the film and say, man, he played great against Duquesne, let's go ahead and start him, that wouldn't surprise me either. But right now, until Wyatt does something to where they're just not – they're not you know excited to, to, to see what he's doing, let's remember – Duquesne only had 13 yards of offense in the first half, and and Jamoy Hodge played mostly in the second half. So Wyatt Harris was doing something right. Was he making as as many electric plays? Probably not. But it's it's going to be a battle that I continue to see that that we'll continue to see week in and week out. Um, who's going to start at that at that spot? And uh, I think against Cal, it's still going to be Wyatt Harris. But it it wouldn't surprise me if we if we keep seeing them kind of rotate in and out as often as they did against Duquesne. You know, to go back to my prediction about who was going to be the defensive MVP, you know, I said Trey Hodges Tomlinson, not because of the numbers he put up, but because they, they couldn't put up numbers on him. When, when he had that interception, this is the player that was uh, either the number one or the number two ranked corner coming into the season. And that was his first career interception. Yep. That's because people just don't throw at him. <laughs> Which was surprising because they threw at him. I think they didn't throw very many passes, but I think a majority of them went toward him. And he did get lucky one time. One time, uh, I don't know. I can't remember what happened, but I remember saying something to Drew. Man, that guy was way behind Travius on that play. And uh, 
they I think they ended up hitting the quarterback right when he was getting ready to throw in and it was the the pass was off but I'll guarantee you I, I haven't watched the replay of the game but I'll guarantee you they said something about that in the uh in the live game because the kid was behind Travius pretty good so he wasn't perfect by any means but I was I was just as surprised as you that that was his first interception of his career Oh yeah, they talked about it on the game. I, I mean, on TV. I was watching that. So, all right. Well, let's go ahead and just glance forward real quick here, um, and uh, to the game against Cal, and then we're going to look around the rest of the Big Twelve and a few other updates that may be coming to the Big Twelve this week, and then bring uh, and, and glance glance around the rest of the college football landscape. The Frogs are hosting the Cal Golden Bears. Of course, the last time these two teams met up was the 2018 Cheez-It Bowl, which is the number one uh, rated bowl game of all time. Number two is Texas-USC in the Rose Bowl. Um, I I don't know if you get the Longhorn Network, but I promise you it's currently playing right now. But if we had a Horn Frog Network, it would always be playing the Cheez-It Bowl against Cal. So, Obviously, this is going to be an interesting game. Cal, like most of the Pac-12, lost this weekend, lost to a non-Power 5 team. They got beat by Nevada, 22-17. to Cal jumped out to a 14-point lead, and then Nevada came back and took control and, and never relented. They never let it go. So, uh, you know, Jay Norvell's the head coach out there at Nevada now, and it's in, I believe, oh man, I'm not going to Google mid-show, I believe Hal, Mummy, Hal Mummy's son is the offensive coordinator there, Matt Mummy, uh, who, of course, invented the air raid and who I tackled in high school football for what it <laughs> did. I did. I did. I tackled him. Uh, Leach and Mummy and Holgerson were 45 miles north of me in high school at Iowa Westland. So a um, little, little brush with uh, greatness that they got to experience. I did not uh, know that. I know. So what what are your thoughts on the Cal game, Jeremy? I know that there's just not a ton that we can take away from this one game. Not just like there's not a ton we can take away from Duquesne. Nevada's a good team. Cal is is well coached. It's going to be a pretty salty game. Do you think this is going to look a lot like the Cheez-It Bowl, or do you think we can actually get a little more polished college football? (laughs) If this looks like the Cheez-It Bowl, God help us all. Um, I mean, it it should not look anything like that. Number one, you don't have a, a fourth string quarterback making a start. Um, you don't have a quarterback that's the backup basically with w- one healthy foot. Um, you will see good defense. I will say that that'll be the similarity in this game. Uh, will Wilcox has, is a, is a, a really good defensive coach and, and they've got some good players on defense. I think uh, the uh, Tavis kid is, is a pretty good defensive player. Um, they didn't do they they jumped out to Nevada, which was crazy. I think they were up fourteen nothing. Then Nevada just started coming back on them and and won that game. But it's going to be a good test for the offense, TCU's offense, because you are playing a defense that has obviously better athletes. You're going to be playing faster defensive backs. You're probably not going to see corners playing seven eight yards deep, uh, trying to take away the vertical ball. Uh, if you look at when Duquesne was successful is when they really pressed their corners. Um, and that's it. I think that would probably be a good game plan for Cal if you press their corners right now or press the receivers right now because Max is having a difficult time. You can't really throw those hitch route, hit, hitch routes and, and uh, those, those shorter routes if they're having that kind of coverage. And so you look for them to go vertical. And if you look at TCU's game against Duquesne, you know, they struggled a little bit with vertical ball, but offensively, uh, for for uh, or 
for TCU's defense, they're going to be faced a, a much, much better quarterback. Garbers is one of the better quarterbacks in the Pac-12. He struggled a little bit last week. I, he They threw a lot of passes. I, I want to say they threw almost 40 passes, but they will be facing a much better quarterback, obviously much better receivers. This is going to give us a better uh, look at where TCU is as a program right now. It's, I wouldn't necessarily call it a measuring stick game because – I still feel TCU can win this game by two or three scores, but it'll be nice to see them go out and and beat a quality opponent. Cal's uh, probably not going to be the type of quality opponent that you hope they would have been. You you would like for them to beat Nevada, come in with a one and zero record, um, but now they're they're zero and one. You're you're looking at them and thinking, oh man, they lost to a non Power Five school. Um, is this really going to be a, a good win for TCU if they win? And will the fans? Give them the give them the respect that they deserve if they win. We don't know, but it's it's going to be a funner game. I hope. I mean, it's going to be hotter than heck. It's going to be two thirty in the afternoon kickoff, so it'll be uh, much different than what we saw in week one for sure. Yeah, I'll be curious to see how Cal holds up in the in the Texas heat because it's it's not going to drop twenty degrees between now and, and Saturday afternoon two thirty. Ooh. It's gonna it's gonna be a hot one. So lots of soccer games going on. So fans probably won't be there that early. Yeah. Well, you're probably right. Good soccer games. We need to get some. We need to get some fans in the stadium, man. We need to get some fans there. Well, we'll be talking plenty about Cal next week because I'm not exactly sure what we're gonna see. What do you think? What do you think it's gonna be? You think it's gonna be a cheese at bowl type type game? I think Cal's offense is ugly. I mean, I think our defense is strong. I think their offense is ugly. I know they I know Cal's defense is going to be competitive, but you know, I just don't want to regurgitate everything we've said on this show for three months and everything I heard on the on the broadcast. If TCU can't get in the end zone with the weapons that they have, they they just need to stop playing football. Like, there's no reason the frogs. If the frogs don't put up 35 points every game, it's a, it's an issue. I mean, the, with the running backs that they have with the multiple sets of receivers that they have, that I don't see any way that TCU should be kept under 30-35 any game this year, regardless of who they're playing. And so I, I don't see Cal being able to score 35 points, and I think TCU's got to be able to score 25, 35 points at a minimum just because of the weapons that they have. Now, you know, Cal's offense is so ugly. They're going to try to play a brand of football that's going to muddy it up and slow it down, and they'll be well-coached, but... I, I think I think I don't see any way that the frogs lo- lose this by um, double di- or uh, they, they're going to win this by more than double digits. So I'm with you. And that's you know, like I said earlier in the show, it's it's good that Max only had to play one half. Zach Evans, I know people probably hate that the fact that he only carried the ball five times, but they should love it because now he's still going to be fresh for Cal. And let's be honest. They're they're going to ride that guy. They they know what they got with Zach Evans. There's nothing going on with him where he's not going to be seeing the field. He's he's gonna he's gonna get more carries this week. Kendra Miller showed us he he can carry the ball. Quentin Johnson, I don't think played in the second half. Uh, Tay Barber, I don't think played. I mean, there was a lot of lot of great uh, uh, playing time for those younger guys, the guys that probably won't be seeing the field as much as they did against Duquesne. So. Uh, the the guys are going to be fresh for TCU, especially on offense. And the the two tight ends that we're excited about, they they barely played either. So yes, yeah. So I want I want to see Spivey line up in the slot. That's all well, I want. You see. you will 
You'll I see know. him line up in the slot. You're going to see more of a, a a different type of. You won't see too much, but I think we'll see a, a, a more of a, a variety of passing scheme. Um, it was pretty vanilla. They ran some verticals. They it was it was pretty much a basic offense that they ran against Duquesne. You'll you'll see some more creativity, I think, beginning this week against Cal. Then obviously they'll have two weeks to prep for SMU, and we'll see, start to see a little bit more. Um, hopefully you don't have to see too much uh, trick plays or anything like that, and, and just get ready for Texas. But it's it should be a it should be a fun game for TCU fans on Saturday against Cal. I think it's it'll be a a good win for TCU. Well, let's take a glance around the rest of the Big 12. Let me run down some of these games, Jeremy. You tell me which one one or two of these games caught your attention or maybe kind of made your eyes pop. All right, Kansas State takes the wood to Stanford. Texas beats um, Louisiana Lafayette convincingly. Oklahoma almost lost to Tulane. Tulane has the ball driving to win the game, and uh, OU ends up making the stop. Texas Tech, uh, they're playing Houston. Houston jumps out to a double-digit lead. Houston or Tech comes back, takes over, and wins that game convincingly. West Virginia loses to Maryland, and neither team should be in the conference that they're in. And then, of course, uh, the fighting Bobby Petrinos, whose offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator are his two sons, uh, come back and make it a really close game against the fighting Mike Gundys. So what's a, what are a couple of those games from the Big 12 that stood out to you? Number one, I don't know who where Bobby Petrino coaches at, so refresh my memory. Missouri State. Okay, Missouri State. What was the final score in that game? I think it was 23-20. Oh, wow. I, 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 I was flipping back and forth to that game because, hey, uh, it looks like it, it was of consequence here. Um, all right, I'm pulling it up right now. Um, hey, no, your boy, 20- did, you, did you mention your boys, Iowa State? Against Northern? Oh, no, I did not. 23-16. 23-16, excuse me. Uh, No, uh, yeah, Iowa State 16-10. to I mean, if that's not a top rate, if that's not the number seven team in the country against Northern Iowa, 16-10, to I don't know what is. I mean, it's not like they lost. That's not Louisiana they're playing. I'm from Iowa. You and I, uh, they have no business being on the field with Iowa State. Well, I mean, you're talking about, the the number seven a top team a top ten team in the nation should not be uh, sweating it out in the end. I, I think Northern Iowa was, had the ball at the end of the game and uh, didn't they throw an interception to for Iowa State got an interception to seal that game. So I mean that's that's eye opening. I the the Tulane and Oklahoma game, man. I was I was pulling for Tulane. I I'm not rooting for any. Oklahoma or Texas, you know, Big 12 needs to look good, bull crap anymore. They're leaving. I, I could care less what the Sooners and Texas Longhorns do now. Um, Amen. I, I'm, I'm, if, if you're going to post that on the board, hey, we need the Big 12 to look good. They can't be the top team in the Big 12 can't lose to a team like – I do not care. You ever heard uh, that Pittsburgh Steeler coach? My son always tells me this. He said there's – someone asked him a question. He said, we do not care. That's how I feel about Oklahoma and Texas right now. I do not care. If I, I was rooting like crazy for Tulane to pull that off, and man, what a terrible time for their offensive line to go to sleep in that game. They get the ball, they have a chance to take the lead, and that poor quarterback it looked like Max Duggan last year. He was running for his life every single play on that last drive. They had the ball. The offensive line just they. They crapped the bed, man. They they did not give their quarterback any 
kind of time to get rid of the football. And uh, they and Oklahoma ends up winning the game, and it was a close one. But Texas Tech, I didn't get to watch that game. I knew uh, – I'd heard that Houston was putting it to them pretty early, but – Hey, props to Texas Tech and Sonny Cumbie for getting it done. I, I want to say they scored, what was it, 38 points? 38 points or something like that? And yeah, Houston, they did. And, and Houston's not a bad team. Houston, Houston's a team that a lot of people felt like had a had every bit of good as chances uh, Texas Tech to win that game. And, and I think a lot of people felt like Houston would win the game. So that's a pretty good win for Texas Tech. You you That seat gets a little bit cooler for Matt Wells and uh, just for one game, but it, it does uh, – that that's another game that kind of made me raise my eyebrows a little bit because I, I was one of those guys that felt like Houston was going to win that game. So Texas Tech coming back and scoring thirty eight, that was pretty impressive to me. Um, Texas you know, beating Texas. Real, go ahead, real quick go ahead. here, Jeremy. You know, Bud Elliott's a guy I listened to. He was on twenty four seven for a while, and now he's on CBS Sports. He does a podcast, and all summer when he would talk about the Big Twelve, he said, "I am." I am high higher on tech than anybody else in the country. I think Texas Tech is going to make a bowl. I think that they're going to have a, a better defense than people think. And he said, Sonny Cumbie, um, you know, didn't finish strong at TCU, but he knows what he's doing. And he was pretty high on tech. So I, I kind of filed that in my mind. And, of course, I went against it. And didn't, I don't think tech's going to be that good this year. And they go down to Houston and they beat Houston. So, yeah. Uh, Good, good for them. That's all I have to say. You know, I, I, I only hate tech in the way that you're supposed to hate a college football team. You know, you just <laughs> cheer against them and um, hope hope that they lose and all their injuries result in just missing the game and bouncing right back next week. You know, that's all I care about for tech. So well, they, they look solid. They looked really solid. And they looked like they got stronger as the game went on. And that was something that tech has not had in the past. They folded as the game has gone on. They got better as right. the game went on. So Holgo, after running his mouth all week, uh, kind of got punched in the mouth. I'll say this: I'm I'm a little bit more worried about that game in Lubbock. Um, number one, because they showed they could score some points. And Tech uh, Ezukama, he might be the best receiver in the Big Twelve. Um, he's really, really good. And I don't know what his stat line was, but I seen a couple highlights. That the kid, the kid is uh, a pretty big kid. He's athletic. He's fast and I really, I really truly think if he's not the top receiver in the Big Twelve, him and Marvin Mims are one A and one B. Um, I really, I really feel like, especially what he does for Texas Tech, he he is just a difference maker. They don't have that guy. Texas Tech's offense isn't isn't as success, successful, but that game, especially after TCU has to play Texas, you don't know what type of game that's going to be. Could be uh, a really hard fought game, emotional game, and. Sometimes after you come off an emotional win or loss, it it no matter what the next week you just don't play your best ball game. So that that trip to Lubbock is uh, I'm 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 dotting it down. I'm jotting it down right now, Jeff. Just to keep an eye on that one. Keep an eye on that one. But Texas, I watched that game. I I, I this is gonna taste like vinegar when I say this, but Texas did look pretty good. Um, they obviously have the athletes. I felt Hudson Carr did pretty good. Um, Louisiana, they just looked flat, man. I, and I don't know what it was. They just looked flat. They had a decent you know, first couple series, but they just they just looked flat. And I don't know if that was more of them just being flat or Texas just being more athletic and them having a lot to play for, wanting to set the tone early in the season underneath uh, Sarkeesian. But they they looked they looked pretty good, man. I'll admit it. And that was probably the best quality win of anyone 
in the conference because Louisiana came into that that game ranked twenty third. Yeah, that was a good win. That was a good win. You know, there were a couple other good games that happened outside of the Big Twelve, uh, or a couple games of note. I, I I heard a few people say, "Hey, Miami might be back. The U might be back. Alabama mopped the floor with them and then threw them in the toilet and flushed it." So Bama is uh, just they're just still pretty good. Yeah, they're replacement parts on a murder machine. That's all it is. What did you think of watching UCLA run all over Coach Ogeron? I didn't. I didn't watch that one. I mean, um, you didn't get. I mean, I know you didn't get to watch it, but they they it could, they could have scored forty five or fifty. They just ran. I have not seen a team bully LSU up front like that in memory. And all this stuff about. You know, pack you know, pack twelve and Chip Kelly's finesse offense. They just lined up, bullied them, and did whatever they wanted. I was so impressed. What was the final score in that game? I think it was thirty-eight twenty. So UCLA scored forty-four last week. They scored thirty-eight against LSU. Yes, LSU was ranked what ten? Were they ranked that high? Uh, fifteen, I think. Fifteen. So UCLA definitely is going to probably be in top fifteen by the time the AP comes out tonight or tomorrow. Yeah. Once Ole Miss gets done. 38-27. Um, I was wrong. 38-27. So, and they were ranked 16th. 16th. Yeah. So Chip Kelly, the fighting Chip Kellys are now 2-0. and Yeah. They should be and, uh, They should be 16. They should yeah. be in the top. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're definitely going to be ranked in the in the top 20. UCLA <laughs> will be. Um, yeah. But maybe, what is this, his third year there? Third or fourth year? Oh, no, this is his fourth year there, I think. Fourth year. So mm-hmm. maybe maybe everyone's finally buying in. Yep, and that's good for that's good for college football because we need. I, I would like to see UCLA be successful. I always liked them growing up, and I always liked Chip Kelly for some reason. Oh, I did too. I, I always liked Chip Kelly. I always, I did. I, I also always had an interest in UCLA as a kid. You know, I don't know why I remember this. I don't know if I learned this in, uh, you know, in history class as a kid or from my dad who was a big fan, but that's where Jackie Robinson played college football with mm-hmm. UCLA. And I was always like, cause that, that would have been a long time ago and that would have been a big deal. And I was like, good for UCLA. So I always, I've always kind of had a soft spot for them. And I would have loved to seen Jackie Robinson play college football. <laughs> oh man. What a treat that would have been. That would have been. I, yeah. I remember when Troy Aikman was the quarterback for UCLA and, and Rodney Pete was USC's quarterback and just how much of a, how good those two teams were and when they played, it was, I mean, you didn't want to miss it. I mean, those those two quarterbacks, I don't remember how. I was maybe 12 or 13 when those two guys played against each other, and, man, I loved it. Yeah, I remember that as well. They were on the cover of Sports Illustrated, I think, Rodney Pete and, and Troy Eggman. So back in the day, back when we were just kids. Yep. Yep. And then we have to mention this because with all the stories of, of realignment and who's going to make more money and this and that, it's just a good reminder that this is a sport about uh, young men and, and the work that they put into it. How were you not pulling for McKenzie Milton last night going in against uh, Notre Dame, playing quarterback for Florida State? You know, they said he, they didn't know if he's going to be able to walk again without pain. He right. goes in there because the quarterback's helmet gets ripped off, and he basically put Florida State on his back and drug him into overtime in a, in a heartbreaking loss. But, oh, my gosh, I was so glad to see McKenzie Milton get out there. That was amazing. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great story. That's what college football is all about, man. And, and like you said, a lot of people didn't even know if he was ever going to play football again. It's kind of like the whole Alex Smith deal, you know. 
what a great comeback story that is. And Mackenzie Milton, man, he just – you root for the kid. No matter what uniform he puts on, you just root for guys like that that uh, overcome such adversity and and just have such a great drive and, and uh, want to just be on the field. And, man, you just – like I said, you just root for those type of players. Oh, yeah, absolutely root for them. And I, I, I was impressed with Florida State. I know they lost to Notre Dame, but it was – you know, I, I kind of like seeing – I like Norvell. I like their head coach at Florida State. I think he's pretty solid. Do, the is, is, do Memphis people root for Norvell? They don't hate him like they hate, say, John Calipari, who left them. Um, what about Fuente? How do they feel about Fuente? They appreciate Fuente because he's the one that got him turned around. I mean, like, this was yeah. a bad program. Memphis was a terrible program. And then Fuente, you know – he he took the they called it the Bobby Bowden model. You win you you lose by a lot, then you lose by a little, then you win by a little, then you win by a lot. And so he's the one that you know punched old uh, old Miss in the mouth a couple times when they were ranked. Uh, so they liked Fuente, and then they didn't think Norvell was going to be able to keep it going, and he took him even higher. So you know I think they really appreciate Norvell. I they they hired the the uh, offensive coordinator, Silverfield, to be the head coach. I don't know if he's going to cut the mustard here, to be honest. Not that anybody cares about Memphis football. But, no, they're cool with Norvell. We care about Memphis because that's where uh, Obina and TJ came from. I know. I'm, I'm fine. I really like that. Speaking and, of, Fuente, did you did you see Virginia Tech oh, upset North Carolina? I did. Mac Brown with a disappointing loss. That's a – man, he's, he's – He's waking up the echoes down in Austin, as they would say. <laughs> Man, I'm just going to tell you, I don't see how any recruit could go into Virginia Tech and not commit to a program like that with that kind of home field advantage, especially in pregame where they're playing inner Sandman. Oh, my gosh. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google that oh. and, and watch watch some clips of that. You know, the, the, the best moment in college football each year – is post-game Army-Navy when they go and sing their songs and support each other. Number two is Inner Sandman. There's nothing that – and number three is so far back from number two, it's not even funny. When that I, if, I, if I win the lottery and can make like a college football tour each fall, I want to go to a night game at Lane Stadium and um, for Inner Sandman, like, you know, Virginia Tech and, and Clemson, Virginia Tech or North Carolina, sundown mm-hmm. in Appalachia – and the whole stadium is shaking as they go crazy to understand that. Yeah. Clemson lost 10 to 3. They did. Clemson That's lost 10 to 3. Quarter that, What's the quarterback's name? Go ahead and try it for Clemson. I, I can't. I'm just I, I've learned it's <laughs> I'm better. Same way, man. Yeah, it's but I need to learn it. I mean, I need to learn it, but they DJ. oh, they did they did not. And what what was bad? Their offensive line. That was not a power that is not a playoff offensive line. Well, yeah, they gave up seven sacks. Yes. I mean, I I knew Georgia was going to be pretty good. I think I think we yeah, Georgia's one of my playoff teams. Um and we'll we'll go back to the archives. I think you wrote it down too when we we're making all of our predictions here. I did. I did. Um, I got it, I got it in my file. But I didn't know they were that stinking good on defense. Mm-hmm. Uh they impressed me. Yeah, Georgia looked pretty good. I'll be interested to see because you know they are they could lose to South Carolina. You know they could they could lose to an eight and three eight and four Florida team. They've got it in them. You know Kirby mm-hmm. Smart always finds a way to to, to lose a little one. Uh, so we'll see. 
I I, I think I'm, and I think the the Dabo shine is kind of worn off. I'm ready for Clemson because I just think the ACC is so overrated. We're gonna it's gonna be a good transition into what's gonna happen with the Big Twelve. I hate that the entire ACC gets off the hook because Clemson has been good because mm-hmm. everything underneath them is trash. I'm sorry, that is not a a solid conference. Um, Duke okay. lost to an FCS, didn't they? Yes, uh, yes, they they lost to Charlotte. Oh, Charlotte's okay. Yeah, Charlotte's, Charlotte's in now. Conference USA, but let's stop yeah. acting like the Conference USA is anything more than just a step above the rest of um, the FCS. So, yeah, Duke lost to Charlotte, thirty-one twenty-eight. Cutcliffe's done. I mean, there's just no way around it. He's got to be done. Yep. And then, and I know this is also hard to believe, but Pitt hosted UMass, and it wasn't a sellout. <laughs> that, shows, that 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 was um, a picture of that game was posted on the empty seats galore. That was oh, big. I hadn't seen that. That's um, kind of like oh, nothing. What they, what but they have? Seats. I, I if they had twenty thousand people there, I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked if they had that. You know, you know who impressed me over the weekend though? Who's that? And it's a team close to your heart, Iowa. Iowa put it on Indiana, and a lot of a lot of people were drinking that Indiana Kool Aid, man. And Iowa just completely dominated Indiana. That was that was a good win for them. Yeah, that was a good win for them. I, I wasn't drinking any of that Indiana Kool Aid, but Iowa they're they're just capable of beating anybody. You know, remember the a couple of years ago when they laid the wood to Ohio State. Um, you know, if they if they get to the Big Ten title game, nobody's going to be shocked. No hey, one. This is going to be a good game this weekend when they yeah. play Iowa State. I mean, oh, I, would not, I would not be shocked to who are you going for, by the way. Oh, I'm going for the Cyclones. I'm going for okay. the Cyclones. Yeah. Yeah. But, but where's that game going to be played? Do you know? That's in, that's in Ames. Okay. And you know, they so maybe, are, they, maybe they were looking, maybe they were trying to look past you and I and, and look forward to Iowa coming to town. They are going to be drunk. That's all I know. Is it a night game? Uh, it's 2.30. Dang it. Yep. It's, you know, uh, I will say this. I will say this. I love night games as a mm-hmm. fan. I hate them as a reporter. Oh, I bet. I love the 11 a.m. games as a reporter. I hate them as a fan. Yep. You know, the other night, we, 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 even with the short and second half, Drew and I are walking out. We're like the last two people leave. It's almost one o'clock in the morning. And if, if you look at my story timeline when I posted those Q&As with uh, Spielman and Max, mm-hmm. it's almost 2 a.m. Oh, my gosh. By the time. So – that just goes to show how much there's involved in in reporting and and writing and transcribing, doing all that stuff. But the two thirty kickoff for me, you guys may hate it because it's going to be harder than heck out there. I'm going to love it because I'm not going to be in the press box at midnight still mm-hmm. writing stuff. Well, it's a pretty bleak schedule across the Big Twelve um, this week. So Kansas and Coastal Carolina, Coastal Carolina is going to kill them. Uh, Oklahoma State hosting Tulsa, Iowa, Iowa State. West Virginia against some – is that Long Island? Long Island, yes. Okay. Whew, man, K-State, Southern Illinois, Oklahoma, Western Carolina. That's not even a state. Um, and then <laughs> Texas, Southern, Baylor, Tech, Stephen F. Austin. At least Texas is playing Arkansas. Uh, Texas is going to Arkansas. That's going to be fun. Texas is going to Arkansas, and of course, the Frogs host the uh, Cal Bears. So. What was what was the final score with the Baylor Texas te- uh, Texas State game? The final score of the Baylor Texas State game was uh, 
29-20. Hey, and did you see UTSA beat Illinois? I did. You know what? I UTSA beat Illinois, and I put on Twitter that Jeff Trailer is going to have a heck of a first year at Houston next year. <laughs> you think they're going to get rid of Hogo so fast? If they're making, if they don't do Jack this year, and they're making a move to the Big Twelve, which is what I want to talk about here in the last few minutes, uh, they need to they need to load up. And I would trade Holgerson for Jeff Trailer right now. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. He's definitely yeah. more respected in the state. I'll say that the more respected in the state, uh, Dana is is a caricature. He's a he's a good offensive coordinator. He can pu- he can put together some great teams every now and then. Houston's got to be able to recruit and develop in the area, and no one will get attention from Texas high school coaches like Jeff Trailer. I mean, I'm I'm just being honest. If I if I could handpick my replacement right now for Gary Patterson, it would be Jeff Trailer. You can laugh yeah. at me. You can tell me that's not the right move or we need this. No, we need a man that can win, and uh, we need a guy that knows Texas, and he's both those things. So, <sighs> All right, well, let's get into the Big 12. It looks as if expansion is coming, Jeremy. Multiple sources have confirmed this. Um, I, you know, I don't want to pretend like I know anything, but I actually had it uh, the night before it broke. Somebody told me this is happening, and um, you, uh, Cincinnati and Houston are a lock, and it looks like BYU and UCF are the other two. Uh, so it's UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, BYU, co- going to be formally invited this week into the Big 12. And what none of us know is timelines. I know that they have a trigger. They have to let the American Athletic Conference know. I think it's like something ridiculous, like over a year and a half or something like that. So it won't be next season. You know, Texas and OU will always tell you with a straight face that they're going to stay through the end of the grant of rights, which is three more seasons after this year. No I don't way. think any of us think any of that's going to happen. It just is going to come down to lawyers and money. Yes. So the schools want the money and the lawyers want the billable hours and everybody just wants to get the thing done so they can move on with their lives. What I do hope is that we have one season with all 14 teams and that Texas has to go to Provo and play BYU with new <laughs> offensive coordinator Taysom Hill. So uh, what what are your thoughts on on these four programs coming in, Jeremy? Is this, you know, let's just, let's take Texas and Oklahoma off the table. They're out. Those 12 teams, a big 12 with 12 teams, do you think that that is a, do you think that is a good conference to watch and follow? Well, I do because I still think there's a lot of good programs that are remaining in the the Big 12. Um, obviously, I'll, you, you know, I like Iowa State. You know, I like Oklahoma State. Obviously, TCU. Um, and there's a, there's other there's other programs that are also good in other sports. But you know, let's be honest, this move is for football. I, you know, we've we've been in this. The, the situation before with BYU, TCU's been there with uh, them in the Mountain West. Um, obviously, uh, people know about Provo or, or going going up there playing in that in that type of crowd. BYU has a tremendous fan base. I mean, they travel well. Uh, it'll be fun going to those games. Uh, Cincinnati, Cincinnati reminds me a lot of TCU. Um, right before they got into the Big Twelve, they they've done it's it's kind of like they've done everything they can at that certain level. Now it's time to move up and uh, see what they can do against more quality opponents. I I do think the American Conference does have some good teams, but 
they're they're not top to bottom. They don't have the parity that the Big Twelve does. So Cincinnati will will definitely, especially with their coach, um, uh, Fickle. I is it is it Luke Fickle? Is what is that his name? Yes, Luke Fickle. Okay, I I think he's one of the better coaches in in college football. Houston. I mean, you got a you got a a, a, a big uh, city down there. And a lot of lot of eyes, so it's another easy trip. Hop on a plane, get down to Houston in thirty minutes. It's it's nothing. So and you could drive there. Uh, UCF. I think when we started talking a long time ago, and, and expansion really started to um, become more prevalent in conversations, even a few years ago when when the Big Twelve was only ten teams, everyone seemed to like the idea of UCF, and. We know they have you know, they they've played good football. What year did they win national championships or buy T-shirts that said they were national champs? Twenty seventeen. They twenty seventeen. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So, I, I think everyone kind of liked the idea of of going down to to Florida, having a team to play down there. Let's be honest; these conferences geographically they're they're crazy already. West Virginia being <laughs> in the conference already that it makes. UCF and and BYU and Cincinnati make sense. Um, Houston makes even more sense just because it's because it's closer. But um, the Big Twelve, I mean, it's it's all about bringing viewership, bringing bringing more parity to the to the conference and and bringing good programs in. And I think if you look at each of those, BYU was what they were undefeated last year at one point. Um, before they lost to Coastal Carolina. Cincinnati had a really good team last year. A lot of people thought that they might have had the best defense in college football. Houston, they're kind of, you know, you don't really know what they are. They do have a a name coach. Um, But like you said, who knows how long he's going to be there. And UCF, I mean, they had a a great comeback the other night against Boise State. And they're one of those teams that is another team that reminds me of TCU when when they're uh, in the Mountain West just – They've they get a lot of great athletes. Um, they win some of those recruiting battles against the Florida States and Miami's down there in Florida, and and they've they've built a uh, a quality program. They they have a ton of people at their games, and I think it's going to be great for the conference for them. Uh, if you're asking me, would I've preferred TCU and Baylor and Texas Tech and Oklahoma State go to the Pac-12? I would I would have much rather seen that. Um, because my only concern right now is the Big 12 being able to, to stay part of the Power Five, be, just remain in the Power Five. Um, is that is that going to be enough, or are we going to see a, a whole new thing where these conferences are going to do a Power Four? You know, it's college football to me, realignment and everything else right now is just a gigantic headache. Um, I can't tell you, and, and you probably agree, Jeff, how many – messages or uh, texts, phone calls, emails that I've received in the past month regarding realignment and all the stuff I've heard. Um, it's it's just crazy. So if they make an announcement this week, which I've heard everything's a done deal with those four teams coming to the conference, um, a lot of people are already saying it's a done deal, but it should happen this week. I will be glad because we don't have to wonder anymore what's going to happen. So that'll be a, a nice uh, book to close. 
Here, yes, I want that book closed, and I want to get back to focusing on winning and winning on the field and putting a good product on the field. Let me give you the numbers that I like for these four schools and why these are the best four options. UCF, 71,000 students. BYU, 33,000 students. University of Houston, 46,000 students. University of Cincinnati, 44,000 students. When you take schools, let's be honest here, like TCU, like Baylor, uh, even even Tech, these are not, I mean, they're, you know, Tech's a pretty big school. We need all the fans, alumni, and t-shirt fans that we can get. And all four of those have the ability to produce that. They have huge alum, they have, you know, large student bodies. They have a huge alumni base, and they are all in their own way in a large metro area, except for BYU. And BYU is, you know, for better or for worse, connected to um, the Mormon church, which is its own worldwide fan base. I mean, like, I've mm-hmm. never met a Mormon that's not a BYU fan. It's like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, they, they just are. I'm not knocking it. I'm, I'm, nope. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, like, everybody in Chicago that's Catholic is a Notre Dame fan, even if they don't like football. It's not a terrible thing, but it's just, they, they build followings, they build a brand. And I think you see, I think the UC Bearcats, Houston, BYU, and UCF generate all those things. And I'm the highest on UCF on all of them because they've only been around since 1963, and they have over 300,000 alumni. It's crazy. It is crazy. They only they already they have 300,000 alumni, and they've only been around since 1963. So, you know what's crazy about the whole thing is there was people a few weeks ago talking about how the American conference was going to um, they were going to merge with the big 12 or they were going to take a, a handful of the remaining eight of the big 12. And those teams were going to go to the American conference. Now I wonder what those fan bases, uh, particularly SMU fans are thinking right about. Ah. Now. I think a lot of that was coming from some of those guys, uh, their fans. I wonder what their thoughts are now that four of their top programs in that conference are leaving to go to the big 12. And yeah. SMU isn't one of them. Oh, that's just um, my heart goes out to all four of the SMU fans that I know. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not taking a shot at them. I'm just I'm being honest because it. I mean, didn't we read a lot of that? Yes. Oh, we story? did. Were, weren't there? I mean, it's not their fault. I mean, they were reading the same thing we were, but a lot yeah. of people. And that's what I'm saying about you have so many people hearing different things. And I'm sure SMU fans that maybe some of their their boosters or their higher ups were feeding their fan base. Hey, you know this is what we're hearing or this is what we're being told. And that and man, that's that's why you got to you're just skating a thin line, um, and relying on some of the people you trust. And uh, because man, I'm telling you, and you know this, Jeff, you get all kinds you get all kinds of information and. The whole Pac-12 thing, when I reported it back in the day, that was true. TCU never came out and denied that. Did no. you ever see anyone deny that? I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. No, uh, they, no the, the TCU talked to the Big Twelve or the Pac-12. I mean, yeah. that they, that's a fact. I, I that is a fact. That well, doesn't that's mean that's what I'm happen. saying. Yeah. When I reported on the board and it it blew up that day, and I'm what in the heck? How is this blowing up? It you know that's what I'm saying. It's like I believed it enough because I had a, enough people telling me that don't know each other telling me, man, you need to, you need to say something because they're talking to them. They're talking to them. And, 
And TCU never, and, and that's what I was waiting for. I, I'll be quite honest. I was waiting for Donati or Bashini or someone to come out and just completely deny that report as I was drinking on Lake Eufaula that Friday afternoon. You know, I was, I was just waiting for that to happen, but they never did. And they, and they never, they, even when they were in front of the Senate down in Texas, they never said anything about not talking to the Pac-12. So it, they, they never, they never came out and denied it. But at the same time, when you're, when you're hearing that American conferences or ESPNs trying to work it out to where American conference and the remaining eight of the big 12 are going to merge or the Americans taking a few because ESPNs telling them to take these few. I mean, there's so many rumors and different things out there that people were writing about people were saying, and I, I will say this, I've heard it from enough people. Um, and, and you've read it too. Everyone's read the same stuff, Jeff, you have, I feel comfortable enough saying that we'll, we'll probably see something by the end of this week with those four teams coming in an announce announcement of some sort. Yes, we will see an announcement of some short sort on that. Yeah, that's that's going to be a done deal this week, and I think that's great because we can just get it over with. Get it over with. Yep, yep. So I just I had some numbers I wrote down here about why I like these schools, and I just wanted to close with this. Uh, all four of the uh, schools that we're adding: UCF, you know, UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, BYU. They all have larger student bodies than West Virginia. Oklahoma State, Kansas State, Iowa State, Kansas, West Virginia. I mean, so other than tech, which is a big institution, uh, these 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 schools are 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 bring things that the Big Twelve needs. We need mm-hmm. big populations and we need big student bodies. And even uh, you know, with a in, getting bumped up to a, a power conference, I think it will obviously help them. It's helped TCU. It it, uh, it helped Utah. I mean, like these things can you can grow into these into this. But what you can't do is manufacture alumni. And TCU can build a brand in Fort Worth, but they don't have three hundred thousand living alumni. So I all you know, they bring eyeballs and they bring people. They bring potential eyeballs. Let me just be as honest as I can. They bring potential eyeballs and they bring big student bodies and that's what the big 12 needs right now of those four teams which one would you want to go to first to see a game uh you know i've been you know i my grandma grew up or my grandma lived right outside of cincinnati and my uncle went there so i actually know that nippard stadium is a pretty cool place especially at night and so i would i would like to go to a cincinnati night game uh I go to BYU as long as I could find the one bar in town and <laughs> you know, that, that is one of the downsides, but let's be honest, man. I'd love to go to, I'd love to go to UCF in, in November. Now, I don't want to go to UCF in the first for Labor Day weekend. Cause it's just going to be like being in Fort Worth, but I'd love to get down to a UCF game. Uh, what do they call that place? The bounce house. I think that's yeah. what they call it. So I'd, I'd love to go there. Yeah. I, I got a couple friends that went to UCF. I'd love to go to UCF. You know, it's going to be interesting to see how they rotate that schedule because I still think um, if if you look at them having 12 teams and you don't have to schedule those three non-conference, mm-hmm. but I still think I still think they'll have a three to four non-conference schedule and then you'll just have to play eight or if they make two divisions of six teams, you know, if, if they go back to that instead of the one true champion deal where they play everyone. So... I, I haven't read up on that. Have you seen anything about how they would plan to do um, the Big 12 as far as uh, 
interconference realignment, how they, if they would have two divisions or anything like that? You know, I haven't seen that. I have not. My only hunch is they'll make sure that West Virginia, no, they'll make sure that BYU and UCF are not in the same division. That would be right. my hunch. So, right. I, I, you know, I don't know how they're going to cluster that. We'll all find out, I guess. So we'll all find out in a week or two. But they don't know. They probably don't want to put that down in stone or even leak it because they just assume uh, some of this is waiting on the Texas OU timeline. So how would you do it? All right. I know yep. Daniel's ready to get off, but I want to know. I, I hear you. We've Mitchell been going here for a while. I, I thought this was going to be a short show, but hey, here we are over an hour. Next week will be a, a, a little shorter show because all we'll be doing is wrapping up how the frogs pistol whipped the cow bears. All right. We want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Frogcast. As always, give us a rating or review on your podcasting app of choice. We would appreciate that. You can subscribe at your podcasting app of choice and have this load right into your feed as soon as we post it after game day. Also, if you haven't yet, go to hornfrogblitz.com and sign up to belong to the Hornfrog Blitz 24-7 CBS Sports uh, family of networks. We would love for you to stay connected. Everything that's going on inside the program, outside the program, recruiting, realignment, as Jeremy said, information about what's going on here, this is the guy that's going to have it, connected as they can be. You're going to want to join us. We'd love for you to join our, our, our message board. Until now and next week, we want to thank you for listening to the Frogcast. For Jeremy Clark, for Daniel Southern, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to the Frogcast. Frogcast.